And now it's time for the TOT cast with your hosts, Chris O'Kranitz and Ryan Greco. And welcome back to the TOT cast. Of course, I'm Ryan Greco. I'm being joined by the magnificent Chris O'Kranitz. I'm always, hey, I'm always about giving praise to people when I see it too, okay? That's just how I operate. It's what I'm about. And I think you've come to accept this after a few years, so. I'm flattered. You know, I'm flattered. That's, what about me? Yeah, you're pretty magnificent as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> you're looking for some compliments back there, buddy? I am not fishing, fishing at all. The time. I am not fishing at all. At all. Well, maybe just a little, but you know. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. All in good fun. Um, Chris, uh, quite an eventful week. Um, first of all, fantastic job on the uh, the podcast uh, with with David Morasuti. Great job with the Leafs talk. Uh, big fan of it. Muchas gracias, señor. And uh, and as you know, guys, we're you know it may be a brand split, maybe a WCW slash NWO kind of brand split we're going through right now. But <laughs> let it be known, we're, it's still a united front, and everybody still loves each other. So you never know when we might have Mursuti on here. You never know when I might be paying a visit to the Leaf side. But you know what? I will start it off with something interesting. Is we had an opportunity to go watch the All Star Game together, and we were actually in your in your apartment just. You know, kicking back, having a good time, watching the game. And there was something that I saw. And this is how I realized that this specific All-Star game was a success. Let's put John Scott aside. I think everybody already knows who's listening listens to the podcast knows how I feel about that situation. Yeah, you're First excited. of all, uh, I, could be, I, was, I was getting up and I was at... I, I mean, you put it best, right? You were pretty over the top with your celebrations for a fourth-line grinder. And it was awesome. Yeah, I might as well have been part of his family. I think that's what you said. Yeah, I did. I thought you were part of the John Scott clan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might as well be. You know, Scott's a good Scottish name. Fair I mean, enough. It's right in the name. There's a whole lot of John Scott coming out of your mouth that night. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, no, but the one thing above all else, though, I think uh, that a lot of people would appreciate that actually sat down. People who are actually fans of hockey realized there was actual forechecking in that game. There was some, there was some, not there a lot, was, but there was enough. I think the play of the goalies was more impressive than the forechecking. It, it was the first time where you didn't really see a half-hearted effort the entire game, and it was reflective in the score, especially in the final game there. You got guys like Luongo making a couple saves that were yep. pretty nice, pretty over the top, and it, it kept the game competitive, which was a rarity to see. I can't remember the last All-Star game people were this engaged and interested. Especially, you mean the players, right? Well, both players and fans. That's true. There it's was very a, often where you just look, yeah, it's a circus. I'm going to watch my favorite players play, and that's it. I think the second coolest thing that happened there, and we'll, we'll be brief on the NHL All-Star game, because I know you guys covered it briefly in the other podcast. But yeah, there's not much to say. I mean, it's it's an All-Star game, right? Yeah. Like, it is what it is. But I will say, as a fan, it was kind of cool to see the fact that uh, at one point they had nothing but Predators on the ice. Yep. And, and they scored. the fans, not only did they score, but the fans there started chanting, go Preds, go, go Preds, go. And I think that was one of the coolest things that happened that I've seen in an All-Star game in quite some time. And hell, any All-Star game, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't mind seeing Raptors fans do that when DeRozan and Lowry on the court together for the Eastern Conference on uh, Valentine's Day. And as fun that would as that would be, it still wouldn't be the same as if we had five guys like the Atlanta Hawks did last year. Yeah. They had five guys on at one point. And if that had been held in Atlanta, how cool would that have been? That's actually a really good point, and it couldn't happen with the Raptors for obvious reasons, yes. but it would, it's interesting food for thought. 
Hell, we're lucky we even have a, a starting lineup of all-stars in our franchise history. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. We only have, what, six all-stars? Uh, yeah, six. Six. And it's it literally was just filling out right down to the last second. Yeah. But speaking of the Raptors, I mean, what what a what a tear they were on. Well, they were going streaking there for a while. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone call Will Ferrell. I, you know what? Who knows? He might be there for the all-star weekend, too. I won't be surprised. There's a lot of people coming here. Yeah. I mean, it was an incredible run that they went on. Uh, franchise record, 11 straight wins. And, you know, it's funny It's funny that we mentioned that it's, you know, a lot of people are very, very uh, excited and happy about that streak. But it's fun to mention, you know, when you go back and you look back a year from now, they're actually relatively at the same space they were as far as their record goes. But you couldn't see two more different teams. I totally agree. Um, the offensive numbers are up this year. The defense may be slightly down. But the offense has been so damn good that it's overshadowed some of their defensive like deficiencies. And people are crying about certain things like rim protection and, you know, can this team like compete me. in the playoffs? Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. More than justifiable. More than justifiable. But at the end of the day, they're winning games. And I've also heard people throw the argument out there that, well, who's this 11-game win streak against? It's only They only beat three teams with a winning record over the 11 games. Yes. What do you want the Raptors to do? They only can play who's assigned in front of them on the schedule each night, and they beat them. Yep. Straight up. I, I totally get the argument that, yeah, they only beat three teams with a winning record, but again, what do you want them to do? They won the games they were supposed to win. Not only that, they won the games against good teams. And I think one thing people are, are slowly starting to forget is that this is the best the East has been in a solid 10 years. Yeah, it's a little bit better, but at the same time, I still feel like none of them can really compete with the West or give the top three in the West a good run. You could say that, though, about the top in the East as well. The NBA is, is a parody-free league. Yep. It's right? a like superstar league, man. It is what it is, right? You know, everybody, nobody. It, it, it's crazy to think the Atlanta Hawks, they finished number one in the East last year, and no one ever gave them a shot. Yeah, and, they run And lo and behold, they didn't even make it past the second round. You know? Or did they make it to the third? Sorry. They made yeah. it to the third round against Cleveland, and they surprise. got beat the way that they should. Surprise, surprise. You know what I mean? Like, it's a parody-free league, and sometimes you got to just kind of take your your accomplishments where you get them. That's why it's a big reason. It's a big deal to win Atlanta, uh, to win Atlantic Division titles for the Raptors, for example. Well, Boston's you know? nipping at their heels, though. I mean, they're only five games back. They are only five is, games back. It but. may sound like a lot, but for as quick as you can have a win streak, you can also compile a losing streak pretty quickly. I'm not trying to be like a Debbie Downer here or anything, but at the same time, streaks, they, they happen. Things level out. They, this team could easily, let's say... We had an injury scare with Lowry. Yes. Let's say that was more severe, and we're leaning on DeRozan and the rest of the supporting cast to really pick it up and carry it. You never know. You things, don't. Things could happen. But it is fun to mention that the NBA is a league where when a team has your number, they have your number, and it takes a seismic shift in roster for that to change. Look at the Chicago Bulls, for example. Despite the fact that it, for most of the year that they were under 500, they still have had the Raptors' number almost every single time they faced them. It's bizarre. Some things you just... The same explain, way you could yeah. say that about the Celtics, though. Yep. We've had the Celtics numbers since the since the minute they got rid of KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. That team is that when that team became a shell of itself. The Raptors had their number from start to finish, and they still do. It's it's a fun fact to bring up. But even with that being said, you know it's a great time of the year. I mean, the team has still won twelve of their last thirteen. Yep. Um, they've they've put themselves in such a great position coming into the final stretch of the season, going into the All Star game. And speaking of the All-Star game and speaking of everything that we're going into, I mean, the the Raptors going into this is just, I'm, I'm just excited to see what's going to be happening next with them. Well, where do you think this team can improve if they do need to improve? Because, I mean, let's, let's face it, what they have right now is good enough to compete in the Eastern Conference, but yes. is it good enough to win it? 
No, it's you know, not. So where would but they improve? I think I think it's fair to say that you know it, people are complaining about rim protection. Yet we have a guy in Bismack Biombo who is just a straight hustle and heart guy. He's almost a poor man's Tristan Thompson in a sense. He'll go out there and he'll get you his rebounds. He'll be able to block a few shots here and there. The only problem is that there's only just one guy like him on our roster. Well, and if anything, we need another guy like him, I would say. You but think so? Someone who's a little bit more skilled in a sense, I guess. I, I don't think we do at all, to be honest. Why is that? Look at the Eastern Conference, okay? Break it all down. Who can kill you inside in the paint? Who can really kill you that's a big man? In the Eastern Conference? Yep. Maybe what, Al it's, Horford? Him there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of B level guys like with the Wizards you've got Gortat with you know even with the Cavaliers I mean Mozgov as great as he was in the finals he's still like okay you know, so it's an area you could sacrifice there's a lot of B level guys yeah if you're gonna win the East but that's the whole league in a sense right yeah I'm getting a larger point here in the whole East who do you need to stop if you want to win the East you need LeBron. to stop yeah you need to stop LeBron. That's it. Because so you why? don't even necessarily have to stop Kyrie because we can we can actually – a lot of people don't want to talk about this, but it's true. You can you can match Kyrie's talent with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan and maybe even just Kyle Lowry by himself against Kyrie. Hell yeah. Kyle Lowry – Kyrie would be a good matchup. But at the end of the day, if you're going to win the East, it goes through LeBron. And how do you – got to slow him down. Yes, you got to beat him up a little bit. You, gotta, yeah. you need a Draymond Green style, a guy who can guard him and match his quickness and <clears throat> be physical with him. So that's why Damari Carroll's here. Yes. Why not go get another guy that can defend the perimeter, is a tenacious defender, and can actually match up with LeBron when Damari Carroll, let's say, gets into foul trouble or gets tired or, heaven forbid, stays injured? Yeah. You got somebody who can slow down LeBron because unless... Do you, you have anyone slow, in mind, though? Um, well, there's, there was a report that came out earlier today about how the Raptors are interested in Markeith Morris and P.J. Tucker. I think P.J. Tucker could be that guy. Now I'm glad you brought up this name because I heard this earlier in the day, and I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. I don't know a thing about PJ Tucker, so please, by all means, yeah, what kind of player is he? And well, he's kind of like someone call him like a, a combo. He's like a he's not quite a big man, but he's not quite a guard. He's kind of in between, so he's like a, an oversized wing player where he's not that tall, but he's bulky. He's always been that way, even since his days playing back at Texas and the University of Texas. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's been a ferocious rebounder, a tenacious defender. And somebody who's got an okay jump shot that you get by with. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing there, in my opinion, is that the defending and the rebounding. Those are two areas that can help the Raptors immediately. DeMar DeRozan, when they played them last night, said that P.J. Tucker, he, he was impressed with the way he was defending them. He was in his grill the whole night. He gave him a tough time. He made him earn every shot. Mm-hmm. I'm not comparing DeMar DeRozan to LeBron James here, but let's say we get even a fraction of that. Yes. Okay, maybe more, a little, maybe more than a fraction, but we get... Some semblance of what he was doing last night to Demar on LeBron, and then combine that with Demari Carroll. So at the same time, you have two on-ball defenders that can wreak havoc and make his night a lot tougher than what it usually is. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good match for the Raptors. And a scary thought, even taken into consideration, is the fact that uh, a guy like PJ Tucker, you know, if he's working that hard for a team that's going nowhere, imagine what he's going to do in the playoffs with a team that actually has a shot. I agree. And the other thing with him as well is that he's uh, relatively affordable. He's going to make five and change this year and next year. They, the Raptors could cut him before the uh, free agency starts June 30th, I believe the date is. So that helps as well if they want to move on with him. But I think he'd be a little bit more affordable than, let's say, a Markeith Morris. Because here's the thing with Markeith Morris. His contract is bigger. He's got two or three more years left on it. Is that the answer for the power forward position going forward in the future? Probably not. But to acquire a player like him, it would require the Raptors to give up Patrick Patterson plus either a Bruno Caboclo, Bebe, or Dylan Wright, and some picks. 
Mm-hmm. So that's a that's you're taking on a long term asset. You're dishing out a contract that matches in Patrick Patterson. You're dishing out a player that has long term control, which we one of the three prospects, and you're giving up a draft pick for a guy that you're not even sure is the future. Not even sure if he's your your long term answer. I I don't see how that makes any sense to go get a Marquis Morris. Sure, he's buddies with Kyle Lowry and all that. That's great. But in terms of what Messiah Jury has said he wants to do with this team in a long term plan, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think a guy like PJ Tucker that's got maybe half a season and if the Raptors decide to keep him, a year and a half at a much more affordable price makes a lot more sense. And aside from being affordable, it won't cost as much to get him. So I just feel like if there was a player that they're going to go out and report that has some legs to it, it would be P.J. Tucker. And speaking about the idea of moving draft picks, moving uh, prospects, I guess you could say, and it, for a guy like either P.J. Tucker or Marquise Morris, um, we actually had the opportunity to uh, speak with somebody who probably has more knowledge about these prospects than almost anybody in the media right now in Toronto. And uh, we actually had a chance to go and uh, speak with uh, Megan McPeak this week on the TOT cast. And uh, she's, for anyone who doesn't know, she is the uh, play-by-play analyst of the Raptors 905. Uh, You can always catch her. Any of the games are all webcasted on YouTube. And if they're not on YouTube, you can always catch them on NBA TV Canada. Uh, Actually making history as the first ever female play-by-play analyst of any Canadian professional sports team. I mean, given this country's entire history in sports, I mean, that's a huge honor. It is a huge honor, and I mean, when you look across not just Canadian media, but North American media as a whole, in particular sports, it's predominantly white and male for the most part when you look at the demographic, and you see more females emerging into it now, which is great, because it needs more voices in the same stuff all the time, but it's it's still a rarity, especially when you look around, and it's very nice to see a female get involved and actually do something more than just, let's say, uh, a sideline reporter that you happen to see, or people would like group them into being a cliché. So I think it's very refreshing to actually see strides being made in Canada. And I think it's something that we can look forward to in the future as well. And not just that, an African-Canadian female on top of all of that. It's even better. I mean, uh, I can't say enough good things about it because the media, it, it needs stuff like this. It does. So it's nice to see. It needs differing opinions. And with that, uh, we're going to give to you right now the interview that I had myself. Uh, with uh, Megan McPeak, the uh, play-by-play analyst of the Raptors 905. And now joining me on the TOT cast here is the one and only play-by-play announcer for the Raptors 905, Megan McPeak. Megan, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us on the uh, TOT cast today. How are you doing? I am great. First of all, I just want to say thanks for having me on. always uh, appreciate someone who wants to talk to me, so I appreciate you uh, making time for me. Oh, believe me. I always want to talk to you, Megan. At every time. <laughs> um, so, Megan, this has got to have been a big year for you. I mean, especially 2015 was a huge year for you personally. Um, you're able to, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, Megan has uh, made history as the first ever play-by-play announcer for Toronto's professional sports team in the Raptors 905. And, uh, I mean, just a year ago, you were working with the NBL Canada. You were doing some games with uh, the Brampton A's. You're doing their play-by-play. So walk us through what it ta- what, what the journey was from from going there to working with the uh, to working with the Raptors 905 now. Um, well, it's it's been a fun journey. I can definitely say that there's been a lot of ups and downs throughout the journey. Uh, first and foremost, if anybody, I'm going to put it out there, if anybody's thinking about getting into sports media or sports broadcasting, the one thing I can tell you is that it is a journey and it will not happen overnight. 
Um, a lot of people don't know that when they get into it, they think it's going to be, oh, I'm just going to get a job right away. It is definitely not that. So that was probably one of the most difficult things for me to learn was just to be patient and know that my time will come when everything is ready to go and essentially the cards are in the right place and, and the dominoes are ready to fall. So I got lucky that I, I did the hard work. I, I guess you could say I was in grind mode uh, yeah. from start to finish and, and really just kept pushing and, and kept trying to stay positive and then was able to get the job with the with the Brampton A's now, obviously, in Orangeville with the relocation um, for their inaugural season in 2013 and then was back on the mic last season for 2014-15 season. And then um, at the end of the season, I, I kept grinding, kept pushing, kept networking, and then was yep. able to get in, in touch with uh, my boss at NBA TV Canada, Aaron LaFontaine, and things just kind of kept moving from there. And then um, in September, October, I was offered the position and didn't even hesitate to say no. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> it was one of those things where um, I sort of did the, if you could say, the dramatic pause where he offered the position and I said, can I have time to think about it? And about 15 seconds later, I uh, accepted the position. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It <laughs> um, wasn't really something that I, I needed to or wanted to think about. So it was, it's been a whirlwind and it's been, the best part about it is it's been fun. So that's the main thing is I've had fun on the journey. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. Before we get into Raptors talk, I think for anybody who's listening and is trying to get into media or is currently a student in school, um, I, I want you to explain to them or just to describe to them how important is it to have a personality? It's one thing to have the degree. It's one thing to have the education. But how important is it to have a, a good personality, especially around your superiors and making sure that your name is never out of the conversation? That's a, a huge component. And um for myself, it was one thing that I've been told by um, different people, my mentors, is be yourself and, and don't don't try to be someone you're not. Don't try to be somebody else in the industry. Don't try to be like mm -hmm. so-and-so. Yeah. Be yourself because that's what's going to stand out. And if, that, if there was one piece of advice, aside from obviously being patient and knowing that it's not going to happen overnight that I could give anyone, um, it would be to be yourself because that was probably the best piece of advice that I was given throughout the journey um, from being in school at Humber back in the in, in hey, hey, Humber Hawks. 2000s to, <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, to now is, is to be yourself because your person, if your personal personality, excuse me, stands out and, and you're yourself, people will know that you're authentic in the way that you speak to them and, and your passion and your integrity for the job and the, and the industry. So I think authenticity, especially in this industry with the players and the coaches and, and front offices, if you're authentic to them, they'll be more willing to speak to you about, about certain things and, and give you sort of the quote-unquote leaked information before it's actually made public and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the main, that's probably one of the most important things is the personality of yourself. Be yourself and don't let anybody change who you are because then you're no longer authentic. Mm -hmm. And I, it's funny, my, uh, I've, I've been lucky enough that I've had a, a couple of very influential people in media around me in the Toronto area. And I think the best piece of advice they ever gave me to touch on what you were saying earlier is uh, they said, uh, don't ever try and change your voice when you're actually on the air. <laughs> exactly. Just, and yeah. I don't know about you, but I know myself, and I, I know I've heard it from a couple other people as well who are at the NBA level. I hate listening to myself. <laughs> but the only way to get better, you have to listen to yourself because if you can't self-critique yourself, and pick apart what you do that you need to work on, 
then nobody's going to want to give you a job if you can if you can't even listen to yourself why would thousands of people excuse me around north america or or the yep. world want to listen to you so <laughs> as much as i hate hearing my voice yeah oh my goodness like yeah you have to be able to you have to be able to critique yourself and and i'm with you you have to be able <laughs> to be yourself and, and one of those is not changing not changing your voice so now moving forward the raptors 905 uh Started off a little slow this year, but my goodness, have they picked it up in the last, I'd say, month or so. They've won six straight now, correct? Yes, they, last night was their six straight. They're going for number seven tonight. Uh, yes, exactly. And um, so what was it – what is it uh, – you've had an opportunity to watch this this team night in and night out. And I remember you talking to me earlier about a month ago when, when we were uh, – when we were – we were talking and you were saying, you know, it was frustrating to see that they were just, they were so close. Like they were, they were just on the verge of getting it. And so what was it that's happened now specifically that they have seemed to have it now and, and have just been tearing through the league? Um, I think it would be probably the turning point in my opinion would be the NBA D league showcase that took place uh, back in uh, early Wow, my, my mind has lost me. Um, I believe it was back in January, early, early January, that the D-League Showcase took place. And that, I think, was the turning point for them in Santa Cruz. They didn't have NBA assignments. There, none of the guys, there was there was no Bennett, Caboclo, Powell, Nagara, uh, right? None of those guys were, were on assignment during the showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, that was also the time leading up to when the big club was heading over to London. So that I think was the turning point. No assignment when you're in Santa Cruz. You've got to take your whole roster. Um, in case people don't realize, Simbular was on the restriction that he was only playing home games during the the first part of the season, working on his conditioning, getting getting his footing, trying to drop some weight. And that was a turning point, I think, also, too, for the coaching staff. They had to make a decision. Do we take him or do we? does he stay at home and we, we stick with this no road game? They made the decision to take him. And I think for Sim as well, that was also a turning point. But I think the showcase was a chance for the guys to get their footing under them, figure out how to how to play as a unit. Because the, the way the D-League goes on a night-in and night-out basis, guys are going back and forth between big clubs and small clubs. Absolutely. You never know when you're going to get them or when they're going to leave. So it's definitely a challenge not only for the coaching staff to make the adjustments, but also to the actual players on the roster mm-hmm. who are always there night-in and night-out every single day practicing. So I think that was a chance for the guys to get some cohesion, get some chemistry, and really figure things out. And from day one of training camp, um, over in Vancouver when they went, they, the team went to the Raptors training camp and then had their own training camp out of that. From day one, Coach Remick and his coaching staff have instilled of sticking with the process and buying in. And th- this team has bought in and they've stuck with the process. They've maintained positivity through the tough, um, the tough time when they were, when they lost nine straight. And then the showcase happened and it was like, it's literally a 360 spin, and they something clicked. And from that moment, things were working. I mean, you look at the Raptors and you look at the 905. It took a trip across the pond for the Raptors yeah. to, to get things going. And between the two teams, they won 16 straight games. Tonight, both of them can make it 18 games combined between the two of them. The Raptors obviously going for 11 and the 905 going for 7. So both teams, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was getting away from home. Obviously, the Raptors have been on the road the majority of the beginning of the season, but yeah. getting away and just 
figuring it out, but both of the teams, the trip to London and the showcase for the D League team, they've both managed to figure it out, and they've been rolling ever since. I don't, I don't think anyone would have ever, in a, in a million years, would have thought of, of both the Raptors 905 and the Raptors team at the same time putting together 16 straight wins. I mean, that's that's a number. I didn't even, I, you don't even think about that number until you just brought it up right now. <laughs> and what's what's crazy is both of them for right now as long as both teams keep winning, it's going to be a new franchise record in, in, in consecutive wins until they can lose knock on what it doesn't happen for both of them. Right? <laughs> but they both have two tough matchups in the Detroit Pistons for the Raptors and then the Erie Bayhawks for the 905. So if they can keep it rolling, then, I mean, it's it's great. And, and Toronto fans and Canadian basketball fans as a whole are having the chance to be part of watching history with the franchise's creating these records absolutely and so uh, moving on with some of the guys that you were talking about that have been kind of up and down as you said it's a very volatile situation in the nbdl it's it's um you, you like you said you never know when guys are going to be coming in and coming out and it could be a, a huge influx of talents one minute and then the next minute it's you know a guy who's only playing three minutes a night when the other guys are here is now all of a sudden getting put into put play 20 um one of, the, one of the guys that we've seen that came down that kind of made a lot of people turn their head and realize uh, was Anthony Bennett. And he, and what I think was a lot, was a bigger shock to a lot of people that may not know him, right? Like there's, there's a lot of people that know him around the city and know that, you know, he's the kind he's not the kind of guy that's going to sit there and, and, and try and act like a diva, at least not anymore. I think he's definitely learned his lesson in that sense. But when he asked to be brought down to the Raptors 905 to get some extra work in. So I was just taking a quick look at his numbers right now. And he's, he's averaged in five games. He's averaged 11 points, 3.6 rebounds. In the time that you've seen him play, have you seen anything? Has there been anything specifically that you can tell that he's been working on while he's been at the Raptors 905? Well, it's, it's hard to say because the first, the first three games, um, that he was down with the 905, the first two of them, not his best showing. His first one, his numbers tell a different story than if you actually go and watch the, the film back. Numbers-wise, had a decent game. Yeah. Actually putting the whole game together, probably not his best showing. Mind you, though, it was his first time playing with these guys, so that's understandable. Second game, only played five minutes because he ends up going back to the locker room with the lower back soreness, and that was when we saw him not playing and not active for those couple of weeks, went to London with the big club, but still was really just working with uh, Alex McKechnie, who is the Raptors director of sports, um, sports medicine. So working with him and then the third game, talking with Bennett after the game, I, I asked him if it was third time a charm for him and he kind of chuckled and said, I guess it was because third time down. That was when he really had, if you will, his breakout game, with the 905, and Alex McKechnie was there to help him warm up, stretch him out prior to the game. Yeah. And I think the doing the work off the court with the lower back and getting that figured out and knowing how he can deal with it and how you got to play with the lower back soreness, I think that was sort of his game where he had his aha moment, if you will. Yeah. And that was probably his best game with the 905. But his decision-making and his shot selection – were two things that were kind of like he was juggling and trying to figure out. And that's something that we've seen all of the NBA assignment guys try and figure out is yeah. no matter when, when they get assigned, everyone knows that they automatically have the green light and they're going to play big minutes. But part of their development is the, men, the mental maturity of figuring out when they pick their spots to pass, shoot, whatever it may be. But that third game with the 905, Bennett picked his spots perfectly and he established his game inside 
and then went outside. And in the first few games, he tried to establish it outside and then go inside. And the one thing with Bennett, and when he was drafted, they said this about him too, is he cannot fall in love with the outside shot. He's got to learn to play, consistently play with his back to the bucket because of his position and him being that tweener type of player. But he's got to have in his repertoire and his arsenal that he can play with his back to the basket and actually be consistent at it. And then once he can establish that and be consistent at it and get respect from that, that's when he can pull his defender out and extend that floor and extend the paint and open up the paint for his guards and even himself because he's got the ability to knock down the shot. And I think that third game with the 905 was the moment when he realized, okay, if I can figure out my inside game, the outside game is going to come. And that game as a whole for the 905, just in general, the whole team, everybody was figuring out and everybody knew. It seemed like everything was just clicking in that third game that Bennett was with them. Um, So I think that's probably been where I've seen him grow the most in his five games with the 905. Uh, We're speaking with Megan McPeak here on the uh, TOT cast, Raptors 905 play-by-play commentary. One thing I want, another thing I wanted to ask you, Megan, uh, one of the guys that a lot of people were looking to and talking about once this team came into existence, a lot of people that thought was going to get a a real push was going to be Bruno Caboclo. And um, so far this year, the numbers, they've, they've been decent. And you're going to have to forgive my ignorance personally because I haven't had an opportunity to watch the Raptors 905 play enough, which I think is why it's such a privilege to have you on with us today. Uh, explain to us what Bruno's process has been like uh, having watched him for most of the season. And uh, where do you think he's at right now? Has he gotten any better? Has he regressed? Uh, because one of the biggest things and one of the biggest complaints a lot of fans had about Bruno was the fact that he wasn't getting enough minutes uh, in the, the former D-League team they were at last year, which was uh, the Mad Ants, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, I believe, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So he wasn't getting a lot of minutes on that team. He was shared with 13 other uh, teams on the, or 13 other NBA teams and that it was just a big mess. So explain to us briefly, like what, what's been his process so far coming into this. And, and, and I think it's something that people also need to uh, tend to forget rather quickly is they drafted this kid when he was only 19 or 18 years of age. So he's still technically, if he was up here, there's still a chance he could have been a junior in, in college at this point. So what has been yeah. his process and his development so far this season? His main thing, in my opinion, outside of the actual game itself and and his progression and his work ethic and whatnot, is his maturity and his frustration that he tends to get that we have seen live, in person, on TV, on YouTube, whatever it may be, is when he gets down on himself. And that's, I think, been his biggest Achilles of his game is he tends to get so easily frustrated and down on himself and it takes him out of the game. He takes himself out of the game. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed it this season throughout the entire time he's been with the 905 is that he struggled at the beginning. He had a glimpse of, okay, here he's figured it out. And he struggled a bit. And then I don't know what it was, but he had a, he, he himself must have had an aha moment as well. Because it's been getting few and far between that he's gotten down on himself when things aren't going. Because let's be serious. No one is ever going to have a perfect game every single game. No one's ever going to have the stats they want every single game. So I think he's finally realized that that is going to happen and he's not going to have great nights every night. Yeah. And when he's not getting it on the offensive end, he's figured out that, guess what? I have a seven-foot wingspan. 
I can get things <laughs> done defensively and have an impact defensively for my team. And yep. he's figured out that when it's offensively not going for him, he can get it done defensively for his team. And when it comes to the actual game, he's he's still struggling with not getting fouls and not fouling himself out of the game and picking up the ticky-tack fouls. Some of them are his own frustration fouls. Some of them are rotation-based where yeah. he's filling in for the rotation when it's actually not his rotation, but no one's there. So he's going last minute, picking up a foul. So in that sense, he's figuring out still. But for me, if he can just figure out the emotional side of things, yeah. I think it will come together very easily for him because he's had games with the 905 where it's like, oh my goodness, this is the kid that Jay Billis was talking about when yeah. he said he's two years away from being two years away. <laughs> and he's doing yep. it quicker than we thought. But then he drops off a bit. So I think it's the emotional side of things that he's still trying to figure out. But I think now he's got a good group of people around him, not just his teammates, but also his support system, his, his agent, coaches that he knows that he's mm-hmm. worked with from Brazil. I know during, um, I think it was during December or January, he had one of his Brazilian coaches that he knew um, up here with him, talking to him and working through things with him and coaching with him. You could see through the games during that time that the progression was going up and then it dropped a little bit. But I think it's at yeah. the point where if he can just get it emotionally figured out, he can keep progressing and keep going up and up and up. And, and he'll have that moment where it all comes together in fruition and he'll really figure it out and he'll be able to play and, and be able to play and have an impact and be a great player whether it's for the Raptors or whether it's for another team in the league. Megan McPeak, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us here on the TOT cast. Um, let's do this again sometime. Sometime after the All-Star no, no break. No problem. Anytime. Let me know. <laughs> I'd love to. No, I'd love to uh, get your, um, you know, get get your updates on what's going on out in uh, Mississauga. Raptors 905 at the Hershey Center. Be sure to check the website, Raptors 905. Go get some tickets. Go enjoy because it's some great basketball. I mean, I've, I've, I, I, I keep promising you, Megan, I'm gonna come to one of the games. I, I guarantee you, <laughs> it's gonna be. But now I'm finding out. I take a look at the schedule, and now they're like a month away. Now it's not no games until like the 20th or something like that in February <laughs> at the Hershey Center. Yeah, they're on the. They're on the road uh, right now. They're in Erie. Then they'll be home for practices, and then they head out down south to practice in OKC. And then uh, they've got that time off because it's everybody's favorite time of the year. And if oh, yeah. it happens to be in north of the border for the first time in That's NBA right. history with it being All-Star Week, um, yep. shout-out to Ronald Roberts of the 905, named to the Eastern uh, Conference D-League All-Star team. So he'll be repping the 905. Congratulations uh, to him. All-Star game for the D-League. And then uh, they go, they head back out on the road, and then we don't get them at home until uh, February 21st. But then March, we've got a heavy home schedule, so you know that's the life of the D League. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, I look forward to seeing it, and look forward to having you back on the TOT Cast once again. This is Megan McPeak, Raptors 905 play-by-play analyst. Once again, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All right, take care. And that was, of course, Megan McPeak, the play-by-play analyst of the Raptors 905. You can always be sure to catch her either on YouTube for one of the games or you could also be able to catch her on NBA TV Canada whenever the Raptors 905 are going to be playing there. Uh, a true talent, hardworking girl, and an absolute pleasure to interview, Chris. Yeah, she sounded like a great conversation. Um, for those that are interested as well, you can listen to the full interview on tipofthetower.com. There's a little more extended stuff that Ryan and Megan discussed on there and yep. uh, very compelling. Absolutely. One of the things actually we got into really briefly was uh, was Dallin Wright and uh, Norman Powell. And uh, 
I mean, Norman Powell, I mean, it, it was it was perfect timing, us talking about him in the time that we did, because as soon as he got called up to the big club, he made a difference. I mean, he got his first ever start against the Phoenix Suns just a few nights ago. Uh, didn't get any points, but uh, to be perfectly honest, even when he was in the Raptors 905, uh, if you listen to the full interview, one thing that uh, uh, Megan went in depth about was uh, the fact that they're really trying to push him more towards the idea of defending and being distributor for the big club as opposed to just being a guy who's averaging 26 points a game like he is in the D-League right now. And they're actually saying the same thing in this, uh, to a certain extent of Dellen Wright. Uh, they're trying to get both of these guys the idea of, you know, unfortunately at this point in their career, they're going to have to play second fiddle because of the kind of roster they have right now sitting at the top because guys that are sitting in front of them are all-stars, right? So Yeah, I think for a guy like Norman Powell, that will take some time to develop. But for a guy like DeLon Wright, I think that will come much quicker. Um, he's got extremely long arms for a point guard. Yes, he does. And at Utah, playing in the Pac-12, Utah was known for defense first, slowing games down, half-court offense, just suffocating. That's stuff that if they're asking him to do with the 905, eventually with the Raptors, I feel like it'll be an easy transition for him. Absolutely. And he's a very hard-working player as well. Both of them are, actually. So, I mean, I don't see why this they neither can transition. Exactly. I just feel like it'll be a little more easier for DeLon Wright, but a little bit more time for Norman Powell. Absolutely, but I mean, there's nothing, nothing wrong with the idea of you know being able to be offensively gifted like they are, still being good on defense, basically just playing to your point, Chris. Um, but one thing that uh, I'm I'm pleased to announce for all of our listeners, if they don't already know, a little bit of an update on the Raptors 905 leading into the NBDL All Star Game. Uh, we now have the pleasure of announcing that Scott Suggs is uh, going to be entered into the three point shootout contest. And uh, another guy who we actually just picked up, uh, I believe it was uh, two days ago, we just picked him up, uh, John Jordan from Erie, uh, the team that actually just snapped the Raptors 905. Another spoiler alert for you guys, the Raptors yeah. 905. Unfortunately, their their uh, winning streak got snapped, just like the Raptors in a sense. <laughs> Very similar times, too. Yes, exactly. Uh, he'll actually he'll be in the slam dunk contest representing the Raptors 905. So uh, it's going to be an exciting time, not just for the you know, the, the big club with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Uh, we're even seeing some of our guys uh, in the development league uh, getting recognized. And I think that's something to be commended. And I think that's something that says speaks volumes about this team, considering it's their inaugural season. I totally agree. Um, this weekend, well, sorry, not this weekend, but All-Star Weekend is going to be a lot of fun here. And if there's one thing that I will be on full watch for, it is nothing to do with the Raptors. It is full-out Charles Barkley watch. Yes. Because I know how much, well, Charles went on TNT and said, I love Toronto. I'm ready to come. That's the worst impression ever, but Charles loves it here, Nonsense. and he said he's going to go visit Mississauga. He's going to be all over the place, so I'll, I'll be on the lookout for Charles. I'm looking forward to it, and you better believe that I'll be doing the same thing. Uh, uh, we might even have to call in a favor with Megan <laughs> if he happens to show up. That'd be pretty cool. I wouldn't mind meeting Charles, but uh, I think we're asking for a lot now. <laughs> I think we are. I think we are, but at the very least, we can get a photo with him. That'd be pretty cool. That would be sweet. I'd, I'd I mean, wear some Bama gear and take a photo with him because I, I know... Uh, he went to Auburn, and I feel like it'd be pretty comical. And he, he would, I think, he'd get a good kick out of it. Oh my God, absolutely! I mean, hell, we were, if we were able to get some uh, photos of Jack Armstrong, shout out to Jack Armstrong. There's a there's a true talent right there. Yeah, great man, great man. <laughs> but um, yeah, honestly, I, I, it's 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 such an exciting time for Toronto basketball. Um, everyone, just keep your eyes peeled out in the city. You never know who you're going to run into as far as the All Star Weekend goes, especially if you're a hoops fan and you're in the areas and you're in the hotbeds of all of Toronto hoops that is in the city. I mean. There, there's all sorts of things that could be going on that at will, any given moment. 
that will be a very busy weekend here. And that wraps up this edition of the TOT Cast. Of course, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to always follow and like us on Facebook. And uh, if you ever want to reach out to the show, be sure to reach us at Tip of the Tower on Twitter. If you want to reach out to either myself or Chris O'Kranitz, you can reach me at RyanGreco416. You can reach Chris O'Kranitz at Chris O'Kranitz. And please be sure to subscribe us on iTunes and SoundCloud. As always, have yourselves a fantastic night. Have a great week. And we will see you next time.